Hi everyone and welcome back to our radio program. How to miss us? <laughs> <laughs> and also that you're all fine and waiting to hear our program. I want to thank to all listeners for your support and for stay connected, of course. We want to express our gratitude for each one of you to be listening and the ones that follow us on internet and send your comments and questions to our web. In every program, we increase a bit our audience and we hope it continues like that. Getting serious, our today's topics are social influence, the group and its dynamics in the educational context, leadership in groups, and aggression and pro-social behavior. <laughs> I would like to remember our audience, as in the previous programs, that as we are a live broadcast, you can call our line on 963554368. Or send messages and comments on our web, psychologyforeveryone.com. And at the end of the program, we will read and answer some of them if we have time. And by the way, just to remember, or in case you don't know, uh, today we have our guests, who actually have become part of the program. Welcome again. It's a pleasure to see you again. Hello, everyone. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here again. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to us. Great, so now I'm going to make a brief introduction of them just in case you lost the, the last programs. Rocio is a psychology teacher at Rui Juan Carlos University and, well, Samantha is one of the students at the degree of social psychology at the same university and she's about to end it. And finally, Maria, she's an Erasmus student, classmate of Samantha. So, let's begin now! So let's start with our first matter. I think it's time to talk about social influence. If I have understand well, we are going to learn a definition, several types of social influence and different theories and obviously some experiments about this issue. So well, don't waste, don't waste any time and let's begin. Perfect. So as you have explained, in my opinion, we should start with a definition of it. To begin with, As we are human beings, we are naturally sociable. However, as you can expect, there are several behavioral patterns, habits, feelings and attitudes that are influenced in different ways to other human beings in society and, of course, that is known as social influence. If you think about, about it for a minute, you will notice that from the beginning of our life we learn man manners. We create opinions and we behave in some way according to the social setting. All of this is influenced by other individuals, even if we don't do it in a conscious way. All these habits and behavioral patterns come about due to social influence, and that is exactly what we will be explaining in the following sections. Social influence is defined as change in an individual's thoughts, Uh, feelings, attitudes, or behaviors that result from the interaction with another individual or a group. French and Raver, 1959, provided an early formalization of the concept of social influence in their discussion of the basis of social power. For them, agents of change included not just individuals and groups, but also norms and roles. Yeah. However, we can distinguish between two types of social influence. The first type is influence of formation, that is produced when, we, when the changes in thoughts, behaviors and judgments are produced by accepting the other's opinion because we think that are more correct than our own ones. When this happens, a process in which we, in, we internalize the, conformi the conformity related to what the others have stated. The second type of social influence is normative influence that happens when the individual is not convinced at 100% of the other statements and continues thinking in his own way. And when the individual changes his or her mind is due to other circumstances. Well, maybe 
We you can explain both types of influence with some examples to get a better idea of it. Would you mind? Yeah, it's a great idea. So, on the one hand, let's see an example of influence of, of information. Julia and Laura want to go to Eva's house, but they don't really know, know the way. Julia is 85% sure that is turning right in the next street. But Laura says that she's wrong, she's wrong because they have to turn left. As Julia thinks the one who is going wrong is Laura, she accepts the unturned left, mm -hmm. as Laura said. So now an example of normative influence. Well, let's see. You are traveling in a quiet train and suddenly the phone starts ringing. Uh, you will have two ways of reacting. On the one hand, you pick up the phone and start talking without worrying about the other people. But on the other hand, you pick up the phone, but you start speaking slowly. If you have reacted as in the first situation, you will be not following the normative influence. But if you act in the other way, you will be under the normative influence. Great. Now we are going to talk to you about some relevant authors who have developed different theories based on social influence all along history. Rocio, I would like you to start, if you don't mind. Of course. I'm going to start with Moscovici, 1969. He was the, the author who developed the concept of minority influence in group settings that is said to occur when a minority attempts to change the majority. For example, teachers often influence their uh, students' beliefs and political and religious leaders frequently influence the behavior of their followers. We can see a real example if we think of feminine suffragio. Another important author is Latin in 1996 with his social impact theory. This theory states state that the likelihood, uh, <coughs> likelihood that a person will respond to social influence will increase with three factors that are strength, immediacy, and number. Strength is how important the influencing group of people are to you. Immediacy is how, how close the group are to you in space and time, at the time of the influence attempt. And number is how many people there are in the group. In the case you don't get well the idea, I will give you an example. Imagine that you are in the office and you've got a meeting with a group of people. When the meeting is reaching the end, you realize that only you and one of your colleagues have the same opinion and the other people think the opposite. If you stay quiet and don't expose your opinion, you'll be following the social impact theory just because you don't want to state a wrong opinion. There's another theory based on the research of Bayes, of Bayes sorry, called Expectation States Theory. This provides another formal treatment of social influence. As I have mentioned, this theory rooted in the work of Bales in 1950, which, ha which found inequalities in the amount of influence group members had over one another. He discovered that even when group members were equal on status... <laughs> Oh, sorry. Uh, he discovered that even when group members were equal on, on status at the beginning of the group session, some members would end up being more influential than others. The group will, would develop a higher hierarchy based on the behavior of the group members. Expectation states theory, as described in Berger et al. Uh, in 1980, was originally proposed as an explanation for Bayes finding that groups of status equals would develop inequalities in, in influence. Once developed, these expectations guide the group interaction. In fact, expectations both guide are maintained by the, inter by the interaction. Those group members for whom the highest expectations are held will be the most influential in the, in the group's interaction. Great, so there are several phenomena in social influence. Which are them? Maybe you can explain mm -hmm. a few things about each one of them, girls. 
They are cursed. Social influence is distinct from conformity, power, and authority that are known as social influence phenomena. The first one, that is conformity, occurs when an individual expresses a particular opinion or behavior in order to fit in a given situation or to meet the expectation of a given other. Uh, though he doesn't uh, necessarily hold that opinion or believe that the behavior is appropriate. However, there are some factors that affect conformity. The first one are the social norms that are divided into two groups. The descriptive norms, which are the ones that most people do in a given situation, and the injunctive norms, that are what someone should do, the approved or disapproved behavior in a given situation. Another factor that affects conformity is co cohesiveness. Sorry. There is the extent to which we are attracted to a social group and want to belong to it. The third factor is the group size. That is obvious. The larger a group is, the more people behave in some way or follow a tendency to conform. The last factor are the situational norms, which are the ones that guide our behavior in a certain situation or environment. It is important to stand out when people conform the more, such as in ambiguous situation, when people feel incompetent or insecure, when the group is unanimous, also when the people inside the group have no prior commitment to any response, etc. One phenomenon of social influence is persuasion that is defined as change in attitudes or beliefs based on information received from others. Researchers focus on written or spoken messages sent from source to receiver. This research is based on the fact that individuals process and messages carefully whenever they are motiva motivated and able to do so. Getting others to complete to our request requires persuasion. Based on this theory, there are techniques or tactics of persuasion that have been observed. Some of the techniques are ingratiation, food in the door or low ball. The first technique mentioned, ingratiation, Follow the principle of be ordered to do this in, third, in three basic forms. Flatter, accepting others' opinions and emphasizing one's own self. The footing the other technique consists in getting a yes to a low-cost action, difficult to be refused, in order to get a yes to a much more costly one. The low-ball technique consists on gaining compliance in which when the target person agrees. The requester will change the deal to a more disadvantageous place for the target person. Now, power is another phenomenon. It is defined as the ability to force or coerce in a particular way by controlling her outcomes. We often think about power in terms of how individuals try to influence one another, but a group has collective power. There are two types of power. One is the personal or soft power that derives from an individual's characteristics of, or personality and includes expert reference and information power. For example, in a group of friends, the one who is more authoritarian. The other type is positional or harsh, or harsh power that is based on an individual's for, formal position in an organization. It includes legim, legitimate, reward and corvus power. For example, a government. Another phenomenon of social influence is authority. It's the power that is believed to be legitimate rather than coercive by those who are subjected to, to it. It is demonstrated that people tend to obey an authority even if, it, if its commands are immoral and nonsense. There are two forms of obedience, constructive and destructive. Well, for any society to function well enough, there, there have to be certain authority figures who will yield the power to bring about a positive change in society. When an authority figure commands a person or a group of people and obeying him is going to benefit the society, then there is known as constructive, constructive obedience. And this destructive 
obedience is called so because it, le it leads to the harm of individual individuals and the society. It has been seen that people who obey authority figures, even when even while being aware that it could harm people, do do so only because there is an innate need to follow and obey authority figures in command. Compliance is another phenomenon. In a social setting, we comply or follow others in order to be more like them. This comes about as a form of submission where we either follow their request, implicit or explicit, out of our own free will, will or we are coarser into submission due to the fear of social rejection or punishment. Therefore, compliance could bring about change in behavior but not necessarily in attitude. Ash made an experiment to prove this. He put forth a theory which stated that people tend to conform to a group, even when the group might be wrong. In order to prove this, he set up an experiment whereby he introduced a line of a particular length and then placed three lines against it, asking the subjects to choose one that was of the same length as the standard lines. They had to undergo 18 trials of the same, and one of the subjects was deliberately asked to give the wrong answer in 12 trials. It was observed that 76% of the people conformed to the wrong answer even when it seemed that the choice was clear. Wow, that's a huge amount of people that follow the wrong answer. Why do you why, why do we yield to social influence? Sorry. Well, there are too many reasons. The first one is to make proper and correct decisions. Reliance upon authority figures to tell us what is right, what is the sorry, what is the right way and what is the wrong to act. Or maybe to gain social validation and everyone is, is doing something, you follow it because it is supposed to be right. And the second reason is to gain social approval. As we want to fit in a group, we tend to accept the statement and opinions of the others. Moreover, they impose their opinion and don't let us discuss about anything in which we could disagree because if we try to discuss, they will probably reject us from the group. Great. So, in order to finish this topic, maybe we can talk a bit about social influence applied to the classroom. What do you think, girls? Good, of course. According to the phenomenon of obedience in social influence, Montessori wrote some books and stated that there are three different levels of obedience in a child. The first is when it's three or under. The child must have developed certain qualities that let him or her obey. The second, when the child has learned to obey. So their, so their powers are consolidated and he or she can be directed by the will of another. And the third is when the child feels enthusiasm because he or she can obey to someone. So it is called that he's, he reaches self-discipline. The phenomenon of conformity also plays an important role in schools. This is because children, since the beginning, are, are forced to study and be successful in life and find a good job. So, in this point, teachers and parents forget that teenage is the time uh, when children develop. <coughs> sorry when children develop their individu individuality and personality and sometimes um, sorry, sorry, sometimes they are more active or they cannot stay calm. This type of behavior is considered by teachers and school management as hyperactivity. So once they tell this to parents, the reaction is to conform with the opinion of the teachers because they think that they know uh, what they are talking about. Persuasion is another important phenomenon applied in, in education. This is a very poor management strategy used in classroom. We have to say that this method is very popular nowadays in every classroom. So, for example, we see that when the teacher, the teacher starts talking with the student in private, saying what they would do in their situation intermediate 
acting, persuading, and making so much pressure in them. This is a bad method because we are not educating children to have their own opinion and develop their own thinkings, and we don't want that. This, in conclusion, is a wrong method which causes more bad attitudes than one the good ones in students. Okay, so let's go with the second topic, aggression and prosocial behavior. What is it exactly about? We should start with a definition for placing our audience in this topic. Firstly, aggression is a social interaction with the intention of inflicting damage or other unpleasant upon another individual, often harm, harmful. The, and on the other hand, we have prosocial behavior, which is voluntary behavior intended to benefit another, helping, sharing, donating, cooperating, cooperating and volunteering. Okay, so after this brief introduction, what is the first section we have? Well, first of all, we have to confess that the definition has suffered several problems. I mean, aggressive behavior is a form of socially un unacceptable behavior that may result in psychological or physical harm to another person or result in the destruction of property or activity. Thus, Arthur Arm Brownie, uh, Brownie in 1989 identified three premises to qualify an act as, an aggr as, a, as aggressive. Uh, one is the intention to cause harm to other person. Second, real damage provocation. And third, alteration of mood. All right. For example, in the school or academic context, the aggressive student will be the one who causes difficulties because it disturbs the normal development of the teaching learning process and violates the institutional and social rules established in it. Oh, I see your point, Rocio. Then we have diagnosis and classification of aggressive behavior since the second difficulty refers to diagnosis. The diagnosis should be formulated in terms of durability, intensity and frequency of the aggressive or violent behavior emitted. For this purpose, it is useful to identify the types of symptoms uh, that can be found and grouped into. First, we have external or observable symptoms. Verbal nature, insults, profanity, profanity sorry, or behavioral nature, physical damage, and the other hand is internal or emotional symptoms, crying, shouting. But don't forget that the more emotional the manifestation of aggressive behavior, the less self-control of the, of the individual's aggressor. Yeah, that is a good point, Samantha. Therefore, once we identify the intention of or the aggressive act, we verify that the properties inherent to the aggressive manifestation are as varied as the subjects that emit it. Fesbach in 1970 identified two types of aggressions. The first one is angry or still aggression, and it is when the aggressor, where the aggressor causes harm or pain to another person without any objective. And the other one is instrumental aggression, in which the damage that the aggressor received is intentional. But what about antisocial behavior? Referring to it, antisocial aggressive behaviors take particular forms according to the social situation in which they are found. Also, in this field, we have the most relevant ones we can find in the school setting. We have indiscipline, which consists of a general tendency to refuse to obey most of the others they receive from parents, teachers, or educators, or simply to do, to do the opposite of what is asked of them. Undisciplined behavior presents, apart from the disobedience, another series of manifestations, such as uh, tantrums, uh, physical aggressions, insults, hostility, quicking. Also, we have negativism. It is an exaggerated form of resistance that occurs when the child adopts a hostile, stubborn, and capricious attitude. The term describes children who adopt challenges, challenging sorry, 
attitudes with teachers, refuse to perform tasks, insult their peers, annoy them, etc. An explosiveness, which is active ag aggressiveness manifested through destructive behaviors, blows, bites, and kicks. Such aggression has no other goal than simple dis discard discharge. Sorry. And finally, we have rebellion, which is a clear challenge to authority and lack of cooperation and pseudo-social or socialized criminal conduct, behavior present in those individuals who maintain a good relationship with their peers, but who show suspicion and hostility towards people invested with certain authority, like teachers and parents. The home, in many cases, is unstructured. Okay, so referring to antisocial behavior, we have a wide section, don't we? Yeah, and now we are going to explain theories of aggressive <coughs> behavior, you know, models about the origin of it. Uh, well, according to the division of Macal 1983, we have an active origin of aggressiveness, in which the emitted behavior is conceived, conceived, conceived sorry, as a result of innate forces and a reactive origin in which the cause of aggressiveness is situated in an environmental factors. In the active origin, there are five theories in total. Medical theories, which refers to possible condition of organic origin. Here we could find minimal cerebral dysfunctions, children of general intelligence uh, who show certain difficulties in learning or social behavior related to functional abnormalities of central nervous system. Or, loca or localized uh, cerebral, uh, sorry, cerebral syndrome. It, it is the case of localizable cerebral affections as a consequence of brain disease, disease such as encephalitis. Another one is biological theories, which is series of bio biochemical or psychological processes that provoke aggressive actions in which the hormones would play a decisive role. And um, personality theories, where a in 1976 emphasized that people with, with criminal potential sorry, would show high levels of psychoticism and neuroticism and are unlikely to feel guilty, empathy or sensitivity to, towards others. Sorry. Psychoanalytic theories, which has gone through several explanatory stages. Initially, aggressiveness was considered as, an, as a component of the sexual instinct, that is, as a, as a reaction to the frustration experimented in the pur pursuit of pleasure. Later, the aggressive reaction was equated with the so-called instinct of self-preservation. Finally, the aggressiveness corresponded to the death instinct. The psychoanalytic model consider, considers aggressiveness as a basic instinct with, with powerful biological rules that affect the individual and collective unconscious. Ethological theories where aggressiveness is an, is an essential instinct for survival. It is defined as a behavioral disp disposition that arises from natural selection and favors the chances of survival and effective conservation of the species. Uh, now, are you going to explain the reactive theories, don't you? Yeah, here we have four theories. First of all, we have socio-cultural influence, where many cultures attach a positive value to violence and aggression. The phenomenon called norm of reciprocity consists of inapologizing or accepting as valid the use of aggression in defense of, of an attack or aggression of others. The advance of new technologies has also contributed to this. And then we have social learning and social relations, where aggressiveness is learned by a stimulus association at both individual and social levels. The observer learns or imitates these behaviors at times. <coughs> And also we have these behaviors at times. Family influence, where the family has been called primary instance of socialization because in it is the child will receive uh, their first social experiences. 
Family influence on child development is determined by two well-differentiated patterns. At a preschool stage, the parents who maintain a strict control without explanations encourage in their children docile attitudes, lack of personality and initiative. In this pattern is prolonged, prolonged accompanied by lack of affection, antisocial behaviors appear in the children. And the last one is institutional variables, uh, where the school is like the family, the social institutions that has the greatest consequences on the student. The young person uh, moves from a little of nothing structure to another with system systematic contents, less flexible hours, little freedom of action and high demands of income. After the theories that we are aware of its that we are aware of its importance, but also that they are difficult to understand and follow. We change radically the section to start talking about prosocial behavior, helping uh, and altruism, all in terms of behavior. Sorry, but what do you mean by it? Prosocial behavior means acts that are positively valued by society, altruism, attractions, by standard interventions, charity, cooperation, friendship, etc. Furthermore, helping behavior is acts that intentionality benefits someone else's group. It is a subcategory of prosocial behavior. And finally, altruism is a special form of helping behavior, sometimes costly, uh, that shows concern, fellow human beings, and, is, and is performed without expectation of personal gain. It is a category of helping behavior. Antisocial behavior is opposite of prosocial behavior. Yeah, because as we, as you know, helping others is socially valued. For example, helpful response is one form. Helping is voluntary and benefit to others' behavior. In some situations, aggression could be prosocial protecting. However, helping could be antisocial if it is, for example, overhelping. Others look incompetent or inferior. Thus, we have Patson in 1991, who argues that the altruism is selfless, but it's difficult to determine if it is in graduation, a long-term motive or private rewards, like feeling good and being virtuous. And now, Lara, I'm really sure you have questioned many times why we help or when we decide it. And surprisingly, we have a question for you. Really? I'm looking forward to knowing it. We can we can say it is because of evolutionary theory or social learning theory. In evolutionary theory, we think that as people have initiated tendencies, for example, drink. We have also initiated a tendency to help others. But there is a problem in in it which is the lack of convincing human evidence. Also make critique about the theory because of the role of modeling in social learning theory. According to the Bandura social learning theory, people's social behavior, it is not innate. It is learned from appropriate models. Positive outcome increase models effectiveness in influencing the observer to help an otherwise negative outcome decrease it. Observing the outcomes for another person is called learning by vicarious experience, which means acquire a behavior after observing that another person was re rewarded for it. And then Bernstein, Crandall, and Kitayama in 1994 met, made neo-Darwinian decision rules. It is dealing with a hypothetical genetics overlap between persons in altruism. Several situations for example, people choose the sick over healthy in every situation, but then the healthy over the sick in life or death situations. And also, they prefer the very young or the very old in, very, in everyday situations. Also, we have to mention that Piliabin distinguishes between personal cause of not helping means that not helping a victim in distress can be costly to a bystander experiencing Lay. And Batson and his colleagues argued that an act is truly altruistic only if people seek to help even they 
will no longer be troubled by observing the suffering of another person. And don't forget that Oswald argued perspective, taking what is about being able to see the situations of some other's point of view. He argued that empathy requires us to demonstrate perspective, perspective thinking, and he distinguished cognitive perspective thinking and affective perspective thinking. Oh, bad girls. However, Batson and his colleagues, according to them, between understanding and experiencing how another person feels and how, sorry, we, you will feel in the same situation. So we have to explain different kind of empathy lead to different kind of motivation to help. Helping is learned. We have not born with it. In childhood, we start learning it. People learn sharing, helping, and pro providing comfort in several ways, which are giving instructions, using reinforcement, and exposure to mother's attribution processes and normative influence. Giving instructions is really simple. A way just to tell into the children to be helpful to others. Giving advice is for the children what is appropriate behavior. However, good remember that if you are as an adult inconsistent and don't behave uh, like you are you give instruction, it doesn't help. What an interesting thing have you explained, Maria. <laughs> we have more way, Lara, but I let my priest explain them. The second way is use reinforcement. I mean, the more you offer help to the children, the more he or she is likely to offer help again later. More an action is re rewarded, more it is repeated. And the third way is exposure to models, where Rustin argued that learning by observing models is more effective than reinforcement, although it is also an effective way. When children are seeing some other is helping someone, it increases it increased, sorry, her or his learning to help someone. And then I am going to explain the next ones. Attribution processes is fourth way, and it is about making attributions about helping or not helping someone. Our attributions about a person in need will influence are we helping people. Sometimes even people are, bl are blaming an innocent victim, and that is why they do not help the victim. And finally, the last way is normative influences. Really important, really important influence of prosocial behavior is a cultural norm. We know how we should behave, how we should help people and demonstrate prosocial behavior. Helping is normative. We know if we are doing it, there are social rewards, and if not, there are sanctions or violating for violating the norm. And um, what about reaching it? I mean. The goals of helping? An instrumental goal is on the way to some self-interested ultimate goal and an ultimate goal is when self-benefit comes as a side effects of helping. Baston distinguishes four ultimate goals for helping people. Egoist, self-benefit, altruist, benefit someone else, collectiveness, a benefit of a group, and principles, upholding a moral principle. Fine, so now let's continue with the next topic. If I remember well, I think that is the group and its dynamic in the educational context. That is totally correct. So let's start. Can anyone give us an introduction to this topic? Yeah, me, of course. Since we are born, we are part apart for a group. On the one hand, we can be part of that group belonging naturally such as our family. On the other hand, we can be part of other groups due to our motivations and needs. Forming a group means interacting dynamic dynamically and with the other people who are part of the group. We can say that the groups are part of a broader cultural context. Although the influence of a group in the individual is always determinant, but not always positive because it can have bad effects in the development and social integration. As important reason to form groups is the help that the groups give to the individuals to solve their needs. As Silverio Barriga said, <coughs> that the success of the people doesn't belong to the interpersonal relations, it belongs to the relations in the group. 
Can you explain it in the educational context? Uh, yes, for example, at school sometimes the teacher makes some activities in order to promote the relation between the student and to meet new people who maybe they don't usually interact with. Oh, that is a really good example. Thanks, Maria. We will focus on the concept of group as a social entity and on the task group in a specific way. Okay, let's continue with the characteristics and type of groups. Who wants to start? I think that my students... <laughs> <laughs> okay, teacher. As we know more about the group dynamics, let's continue with their characteristics. A group is more than a set of people. Although they are related to each other in a direct way, they need to have common objectives, purposes, motivations, and the desire to work together? Uh, Bartal established like three conditions in order to create a group. The first one is the components are clearly defined as members of the group. The second one is to share group beliefs. And the third one is to carry out a coordinated activity. So if individuals don't meet these conditions, it is not a group. Then there are seven characteristics which are the essential to define a group. The first one is common goal. The objectives of the group must be clearly established. The second one is a structure. A structure is the social configuration that the group takes in function of the distribution of the roles and positions between the members. Mm, the third one are norms. The, the norms establish the rules of the candidates that are allowed in that group. They allow us to predict the conduct of the others. Another important aspect is that the norms are flexible and they can be modified, adapting to new conditions. The, the fourth one are values and beliefs. They determine the group culture. The fifth one are the interactions. The interactions between the members are the main engine, engine of action of the group and, and it establishes the emotional links with it. The next one is cohesion. And it is the tendency to stay together reflected on the sense of belonging to the group. The seventh characteristic is climate, in, in, in the, is the environment which establishes the relations between the member of the group and the actions developed. And the last one is communication. It refers to the message that the members of the group interchange with each other and with the external members. I think that these are really good characteristics and definition, isn't it? Yeah, and so now we are going to focus on the concept of group work. Uh, sorry, but what do you mean? Well, I mean that a group work is a group of people that interact having one common objective, which is the, rela the realization of a task. According to Sandstrom, uh, Demisio and Fortrell, we can differentiate four types of groups, advice and development groups, production groups, Projects and development groups and negotiation and action groups. Advice and involvement groups. Their purpose is to improve the production by the participation of all the members. Then the production groups is when the members of the group work, to work together with the purpose of producing. Then projects and development groups are the ones that they are di directed sorry, to the creation of investigation projects. And also we have negotiation and action groups, that is when they demand an elevated level of cooperation. Oh, it is clear. I think that, uh, are really, that all of them are really good definitions and explanations. Let's continue. Well, according to the different tasks that can be made in a group, Steiner pro pro proposes one task depending on the distribution of the individual executions. They are the next ones. Additive tasks, disjunctive, disjunctive tasks, conjunctive tasks, and discretionary tasks. On the other hand, the productivity of the group depends on the interaction of three elements. The availability of resources, knowledge, skills, and also the use of the means in order to reach the objective. The different factors are the organizational culture, group autonomy, the system of rewards, the feedback of the execution, Extra support, physical ambient, isn't it? Yes, of course. You are totally correct. 
Rocio, I think that your students deserve a very good grade. They know a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the next part? Well, the next part that, are, that we are going to develop are the stages of group development. I have to say that although throughout this history, different experts have made some contributions about the formation and development of groups, we have selected But we have selected, sorry, only the most relevant authors for us, that are Wartel and Coles. They differentiate six stages based on the, characteric, the characteristics sorry, of the processes that take part in the interactions. The different stages are... The first one, period of unhappiness. It occurs when the, the individuals that from the group start feeling that the group doesn't identify them. Then the precip precipitating event. It is produced when occurs an event which provoke that the members leave the group and they form uh, new groupings. Identification with the group. It marks the true beginning of the new group with the elaboration of its rules and the development of the feeling of belonging to the group. Then the group productivity. In this stage, the group objectives are created and the members assign tasks depending on their capacities. Individualization. A change is made from the quality to the equity, as every member will receive in exchange of what they give. A group decline. In this phase, doubts about the, uh, about the group appear. These doubts provoke a feeling of distrust towards the group. Yeah, so as we can see, the formation of the groups is a constant process of interaction. In each phase, there are different levels of motivation, distribution of the work, a style of, of leadership, and interrelation, interpersonal relations. Sorry. So, to obtain the effectiveness of the group, it's not only necessary to collect the components, you also need to plan adequately the steps to follow. According to González Silva and Cornejo, four steps were proposed. The first step is the preparation. The second one is condition of execution. The third one step is the one that in which we have to form the team according to the criteria established in the previous stage. The fourth one is the provide assistance. So let's continue with the group structure. Well, here we can distinguish in a group two different structures that are. The first one is formal structure. It is determined institutionally according to the type of group concern. The second one is informal structure that appears due to the fact of internal motivations of the group. In the groups, every member performs a role. In some cases, the own member is the one who chooses it, but sometimes it's the group who assigns the, the role. Then, depending on the leadership in the structure of the group, we can differentiate between autocratic group Democratic group, anarchy group. What about group dynamics? Well, here we can distinguish three differential moments in the development of group dynamics. The different moments are group initiation, group production, and group evaluation. Mm, to establish solid basis in the pro progress of the group, this evaluation is essential. So, to finish with this topic, Can anyone give us a conclusion, please? In this topic, we have analyzed the concept of group <coughs> from the social psychology focusing on the term group work. So, without doubts, the educative process is built in a group structure. Because of that, the knowledge of group and its dynamics is a fundamental aspect for the formation of teachers and other professionals. Thanks, girl. So, I think we can move to the last topic of the program. Yeah, now we are going to talk about leadership. Lara, do you consider yourself a leader? Um, well, I think so. I mean, in a good sense. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we choose to talk about leadership because it creates a huge interest in the, processor, in the professional story an academic work, and it's important because it's representative of the process professional work. 
it is highly studied and it's very complete in the pedagogic context. Great! So now I'm curious, what is exactly a leader? It's difficult to have a perfect definition, but basically it is some that attracts people to him naturally and spontaneously because those people want to follow him or her. To understand it better, the etymology comes from the word leader or guide, the person that marks the address. Guide and conductor implies an asymmetric re relation between two people minimum. So when we talk about leadership, we are referring to interpersonal relations between different levels of power. Its definition marks a definition between a person that influences and another that is influenced. According to Brown, in 1983, a member of group starts being a leader when he becomes notably more influent than the others. Newcomb, in 1950, made a distinction between leadership as a personal phenomenon focusing on the personal characteristic that someone must have to be a leader and leadership as a role-playing focus on the different types of personal interaction that someone must establish with the other members in order to maintain his position of leader. In conclusion, there is no, no an exact definition of a leader, but the idea is that he is someone that exerts the biggest influence in a group and he tends to have more positive characteristics than the others. There were thinkers that provided their perspectives of the concept of leadership. The first theoretical approach were, for example, Platon and Aristotle, who expressed their opinion about the power of human beings. The Prince of Machiavelli, who tried to show that the leader has reliable information about the issue that you have to take a decision and to take in the race as possible. In the other hand, there was Weber that distinguished three power bases. The rational base, where the legality of leaders to give others were thought. The traditional base, where it is thought that you cannot change traditions and the status legitimacy. And the charismatic base, which is based on the heroism or exceptional character of a specific person and the norms he gives. There are other authors that focus on leadership as a nature comparing the different definitions that existed. For example, Bass, in 1981, classified the different definitions of leadership in this way. As focus or center of the group, of the group work, this definition tends to be the leader as a focus of change and activity in the group. It emphasizes the importance of the structure and group processes. As personality and its effects tries to explain why some people exercise leadership better than others. As the art of introducing obedience, it tends to, consi or, sorry, it tends to consider leadership as an instrument to mold uh, the group as leaders. There is little interest in group necessities and rules. As influential exercise, it is understood as the activity of influence in the people in order to cooperate for an end. As a way of behavior, Henfield defined leadership as the conduct of a subject when it's implied in the lead, the group activity. As a persuasive way, where it is preferred by scholars, social movements, politics and communication, you know. Kunex and O'Donnell consider leadership as the persuasive activity of the people to cooperate in the achievement of a common influence. As a relation of power, Rabin and friends define leaderships in terms of relation of power between members of the group. The power is considered as a way of relation of influence. As an instrument to achieve the objective, leadership is defined in terms of its instrumental value. As an emergent effect of interaction, leadership emerges from interaction process in itself. Walking up the expectative that the one who becomes the leader will serve to the group in a useful way to achievement of their objectives. As a differentiated role, Sheriff and Sheriff in 1956 suggested that leadership is a role within the relationship scheme and is defined by recipro reciprocal expectations between the leader and the other members. 
This is the most supported definition by the investigations. As an initiation of a structure, some authors saw leaderships not as the passive occupation of a role, but as a process of initiating and maintaining the role structure. Following this tendency, Gibb, Hempel, and Stoddill defined leadership in terms of variables that facilitate the differentiation and maintenance of the structure of rolling groups. For these reasons, their definitions are the most useful. Okay, um, leadership is the interaction that must take into account several aspects. The first one, leader characteristics like appearance and personality. Secondly, leader behavior of leading the group activity. Next, position that the leader occupies. Also, we have uh, how is the leader seen by the followers? The fifth one, how it, it affects others, sorry. Next, we have how does it affect to the organization. And finally, we have how does he or she interact with subordinates. Then, Sturgill pointed that a complete theory of leadership would have explained some aspects. The apparition of one or more leaders in non-structured groups. Then uh, the process that maintains the influence of the leader among others. The relation between leader's personality and his conduct with group processes. And the last, uh, the situations or social context in which the leader, personality and conduct are more effective. <coughs> okay, girls, having clear what is leadership, how could we differentiate who is a leader and who is not? Oh, easy. At first, people thought that the leader was more intelligent, than, but it, it is not true. There are not many characteristics that differentiate them, but they are always determined for the objectives, circumstances, and the components of special of the special groups. Give pointed out that leaders should be high, attractive, consistent, self-confident, psychologically healthy, dominant, extroverted, and sensitive. But according to Russ, leadership models differ with the different situations. Stockdale pointed out that the measurement of personality factor is very useful for the choice of leaders. Uh, there are different conducts. The Lysurfer is that is a non-leadership style because it does not influence people. Uh, the autocratic and democratic conduct that were both are active leadership styles. The first one, the autocratic, uses power and strength, and the democratic one uses parliamentary processes and majority decisions. To not confuse personality with these styles, leaders should rotate and execute the three styles. Yeah, and autocratic groups depend more on the leader and are, are less productive and hostile. The laissez-faire groups are less organized, less original and less efficient. And the democratic groups are the most productive as they are less dependent from the leader. So, how is the conduct of a leader like? In a, a participatory and directive behavior, an efficient leader will follow some characteristics. First of all, the high considerations which will keep the members satisfied. Also, the initiation of the structure. The leader is the one who facilitates his role and the group intention. The leader focuses on the production and the sensitivity. In a relationship, oriented behavior, there are two concerns, the people and the production. It is proved that the ones that focus on the people and not in the production have a better success on the productivity and the satisfaction. However, the best leader is the one that satisfies the subordinates but also controls the productive situation, like a middle point. Oh, and in a social-emotional leadership and homework, Bales points out that leadership 
must be understood as a groupal role called functional role, and that there are situational variables that affect the effectiveness of the leader's behavior. There is a model by Fielder, the contingency model that differs the leader and the situation. It says that effectivity is based on the style and the situation. There is a test, the least preferred co-workers scale, LPC, that gives 16 adjectives to define the members you worst work with it. The model of Broom and Jetton is a normative model of participation in decision-making that wanted to determine in what grade the subordinates wanted to participate on it, <clears throat> followed by several rules that procures a good grade of participation that would help to accept the decision, obtain and a good quality of it, solving the problem in the best way possible. Yeah, and in the, in the transactional approach of Hollander, he understood that leadership like the result of the interaction and the transaction between the leader and the followers as a process of mutual influence that has a social exchange for which benefits are offered and obtained. Here, the leadership is understood as a role and not as a style. Another approach, the vertical direct exchange of growing focuses on the possible difference that establishes the leader with his followers. It is based, is based on the process of developing different relations of exchange between the leaders and his followers. Uh, they both seek the keys uh, to the nonsense diet social structure, but the leader selects the followers that he can trust and sorry, compatible with, it, with him. In addition, Muczynski said that transformational leadership refers to the process of introducing important changes in the attitudes of the members and creates a compromise for changing the objective and strategies. It implies influence of a leader over, over the subordinates, but the effect of the influence means to give power. It is based on profound influence, inspirational motivation, intellectual stimulation, and individual, individualized consideration. A charismatic leader, according to House, must have strong necessity of power, high self-confidence, and strong convictions. Wow, that's a lot of interesting information. And are there any factors that influence the formation and maintenance of leadership? Of course, Lara. One, one factor is the personality because leaders and followers have their own personality, values and conduct. Also, the leader role, important to strengthen the leader figure and to control the heterogeneity and homogeneity of the relation. Another factor is the leader effectivity. An, an effective leader must maintain the role structure and objectives, obtain the role liberty, motivate the group, and maintain the cohesion and obedience to the rules. And the last one are the contingent factors that determine the leader, the leader, sorry, to know what is under control, what is not, and also limiting the re realistic expectation. Uh, and could you give us a final conclusion to end up? Sure. Well, a leader must fulfill two functions, social leadership and task leadership. As a consequence, the leader must be member of the group and it must excel in one or more characteristics above the average term of the members. It's not usual a member with the two conditions, so we often talk about group-centered leaders of uh, others' focus on the tasks. According to Bales, the great man is the one who is able to bring together the capacity for the task, the social activity of the group, and the estimation of the members. It is interesting to distinguish between domain leadership and ability-based leadership. The potential for influence is granted spontaneously or is legitimized by the members. The actions of dominion imply the existence of the influence of some external power to the group. Okay, girls, we are running out of time. Oh, 
That's all we are gonna talk about today, Lara. Thank you for having us once again. And thanks to every single listener, of course. They are the reason we can be here. Oh no, thanks to you for sharing your knowledge with us. It's a pleasure to have you and listen to those interesting topics for our life. It's a pity we don't have more time to continue, but don't worry, we will hear you next day. Thanks to your audience above all and see you soon. Don't forget to subscribe to our web and ask any doubts you have.